We are going to energize the country. Stop Brexit. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Another future is possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the debated podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this first part of this episode, I will be speaking to uh, Angus MacDonald, who is uh, an Australian uh, film director, uh, about uh, his film Manus, and also about um, the other work that he's been um, doing recently. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Will. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be, to be speaking with you again. Um, so the first question uh, that I'd like to ask is, Obviously, some people uh, listening will have probably seen the film and may have listened to the previous um, podcast that we did. But for those who um, haven't or are mm-hmm. aware of the film, could you explain what it's uh, what it's about, what the uh, the message of the film is? Uh, sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, Manus is a, a 13 minute documentary short, uh, which basically deals with. Uh, the hundreds of men that were transferred uh, from Australia to the remote island of Manus in Papua New Guinea uh, from 2000, middle of 2013. Those people that arrived uh, seeking asylum and protection were fleeing mainly uh, countries uh, where their lives were in danger, where they were either being persecuted or they were in conflict zones. Uh, and instead of taking those people in, in accordance with uh, our obligations under the Refugee Convention, Australia had recently implemented at that time a brand new policy for offshore processing, which essentially took everyone who arrived by boat uh, and transferred them to either Manus Island in Papua New Guinea or another isolated location uh, on the state of Nauru and left them there pretty much uh, unsupported um, for a period of up to six or seven years now because some people still are still remain, uh, believe it or not, on both Nauru and on Manus Island. And our film uh, took place at the, at the end of uh, 2016 when, when a journalist and a couple of other Australians secretly were smuggled into the Manus Detention Centre, uh, which is not a, uh, an easy place to get to because the Australian government is very protective of letting cameras and media go into that place because they want to keep uh, the plight of those men as invisible as possible uh, and not allow the Australian public to see what we're paying for. So the film is basically a series of testimonials from the men uh, on Manus uh, that were filmed during that one night uh, that the Australians were there. And the following morning, the authorities heard that they were there and they were smuggled out again on a fishing boat. And the resulting footage um, was given to me by this award-winning journalist called Olivia Rousset. And from that, I constructed a, a, a film, a narrative film, which was a series of, of uh, sequences of dialogue from the various men that we interviewed that night. And that really formed the basis for the film. And, and the final sequence... One of one of the probably most prominent uh, refugees that's that's been on Manus, a, a Kurdish refugee called Baruz Pukani, who's won many literary awards for his book that he wrote via WhatsApp. There, he's been involved in a lot of creative work. Uh, he he recited in Kurdish a poem about Manus Island, which formed the final sequence, and that was the film. Um, now, uh, when we um last spoke uh, about the film which about um, about a year ago uh, nearly a year ago mm-hmm. 
Um, there was a great deal of um, obvious anger from the Australian um, public, and I think there were some um, protests that were being uh, planned um, about the about the time that we um, spoke. Uh, what's happened mm-hmm. in relation um, to the refugees on uh, Manus and Nauru uh, since um, since last time since we spoke? Well, since we spoke last time, I think you said maybe eight or nine months ago. Um, there's been uh, I guess a small improvement, uh, in the situation from the point of view that, uh, some new legislation was introduced and then repealed a year later, which allowed, uh, people on Manus Island and Nauru, uh, who had critical medical conditions that couldn't be treated locally to be transferred to Australia for treatment. Uh, that was the something that the government had fought very hard against for a long time. But a series of things that happened politically in the in the federal parliament in Australia meant that for a short window, there were enough numbers uh, of independents and the opposition to pass this legislation that enabled uh, many of the men there on Manus uh, to be transferred to Australia. And you have to remember that uh, given that they've been there in very brutal uh, conditions for so long, the mental health situation of many of the men there is quite critical. There's a lot of uh, attempts of self-harm, uh, attempts of suicide, plus normal uh, physical medical conditions that can't be treated there. So this window that lasted for a year before the government was able to repeal that legislation enabled a number of those men to be transported to Australia. And at the same time, uh, a refugee swap deal uh, that the federal government had organised with the US government to swap a uh, a number of refugees uh, between countries, a a fairly bizarre, actually, arrangement. But through this uh, deal, a number of men were taken off Manus and relocated in America, while some refugees not really wanted in America were were, were then sent to us, to Australia. Uh, So this has enabled some of the numbers to come down. but at the same time, a lot of the men that were, tr- were transferred for medical treatment to Australia were then placed immediately uh, in lockup, in detention, and not really given the treatment they needed. And that's been a big problem, which has only been exacerbated by uh, the, the coronavirus pandemic. Um, because while most of the public is social distancing and taking all the measures that have been recommended by the government in order to flatten the curve, uh, this hasn't really been the case for refugees who remain uh, crowded uh, in lockup in in hotels uh, in Melbourne and also in, in Brisbane. So that's probably been one uh, major problem that the government's failed to address. And with so much news about the coronavirus uh, flooding um, the news media every day, uh, that's really been able to fly under the radar. Um, at the same time, there still remains around 400 people on Nauru and Manus. Um, but given that originally when this policy was first implemented back in 2013, over 3,000 people uh, were transferred subject to that new policy, I guess you could say in one sense that the numbers are coming down. Um, but for the 400 people that still remain there, that's almost seven years of their lives that's been stolen from it. And the seven years that they've been there have been absolutely horrendous. So 
you might say on the one hand there's been some improvements, but there's also still a lot of problems, and it's not over yet, this story. Mm. Um, and you mentioned, obviously, um, the uh, coronavirus pandemic, which, of course, has been um, dominating um, the news lately. Uh, but I know also um, that there have been some plans uh, to show the film uh, on television. And I, I believe you're going to be um, releasing uh, the film online. Could you tell us what, what's happening in regards to that? Oh, sure. Well, we've been we've been. Uh the film's been through numerous film festivals and won a number of awards, um, both in Australia and internationally, and qualified for the Oscars in 2020 in the documentary short category, but didn't uh, wind up with a nomination. So it's it's been a successful film. We've managed to reach uh, a lot of new audiences to let them know about this policy through the film festival uh, pathway. Uh, but now, of course, uh, with the coronavirus pandemic, a lot of the remaining festivals that the film was slated to screen at have either been postponed or cancelled, uh, you know, like so many other uh, uh, cultural and, uh, events. So we've decided to release it for free on Vimeo very soon, uh, on, the, on, on May the 12th, actually, um, because of the, the, the fact that there are still many, many people that are suffering under this policy, we feel it's a very good time to actually release the film for free to the general public uh, to, ha- to perhaps, I hope, uh, send a message that this situation is still continues um, and hopefully that might contribute to a little bit of movement um, to try and alleviate that suffering for those who still remain, not just offshore but locked up onshore in Australia. Um, now, of course, one of the um, great difficulties with resolving this situation is um, the politics and the, uh, the politicians involved. I wondered, mm. have you had um, much uh, reaction either from uh, the Australian government or any uh, Australian political parties in relation to the film? Well, we've obviously sent many of the politicians who, who are central to this um, policy, we've sent them links to the film, inviting them to watch it. Um, unsurprisingly, I haven't really had any responses yet. <laughs> um, but, of course, we have done that, and we've also shared the film with uh, independent politicians, federal politicians who are more sympathetic, um, who, have, who have also shared it around... We've certainly uh, reached a lot of the Australian public who weren't, uh, amazingly, weren't really aware of the of the extent of the cruelty of this policy. We've held around 50 uh, private screening events with a range of community organisations, companies, schools, universities uh, in the last six months. So we've managed to reach a lot of new audiences that way. And when we do those screenings, we always... Uh, at the end, have a kind of call to action so that if people feel inclined to actually speak out and raise their voice with a number of ways in which uh, we make it easy for them to do that. So the, the messages have been getting out there, but it's it's been typically a very, very difficult um, issue to get the Australian public to move on. And one of the reasons for that, or probably the main reason really, is just how invisible it is um, to most people. Uh, and that's really the one of the reasons we made the film. But I, I feel like there are thousands of Australians really that are um, engaged in this space of changing the policy and improving um, the policy uh, at, at the federal government level in the way that we treat people who are seeking asylum here. And our film is just one small piece uh, of that sort of 
combined effort that's done in many different ways by many different people across Australia. So hopefully we're contributing to pushing the needle um, together with so many other people who want to see an end to, to this. Um, do you, uh, you mentioned um, the coronavirus, but do you think also part of the problem with um, getting uh, continued uh, attention on, on the film and the, uh, the subjects of the film uh, has also been partly due to the um, uh, bushfires that we saw uh, last year in Australia. I mean, did, do you think that that also has sort of um, taken attention away from um, what's been happening on uh, Manus and Nauru? Yeah, well, that's a really interesting question because you might think that it took attention away, but it was a very, uh, obviously that was an incredibly traumatic period for everyone uh, in Australia, even those that weren't directly affected. I mean, everyone had, was feeling um, feeling the impact of those fires uh, during the summer. But interestingly, halfway through that, there were some incidents around the fire where whole townships had to be uh, evacuated by sea from the beach. Um, and there were some incredible uh, bits of footage and, and still photography that various journalists took uh, during those evacuations that really reminded a lot of people uh, of the, the imagery of people fleeing war-torn places um, by boat. And a connection was made at that time that really compared the idea of people uh, fleeing uh, danger through no fault of their own and needing to be looked after. That, that, that was, that connection was made to the types of people that, that arrive in Australia by boat fleeing similar situations. So in some ways, um, while everyone was trying to deal with, with the trauma, um, I think that really actually in some ways softened the attitude of many people, uh, to the predicament facing those who arrive uh, seeking asylum by sea because they could see for the first time a type of parallel because we're not used to seeing that here. So you might say in some ways that it was helpful, in my opinion. Um, mm. uh, the last time we spoke, you were also um, beginning work on uh, another <clears throat> film about um, refugees in um, the Middle East. Um, could you just mm. um, uh, tell us w what that sort of uh, project uh, was about? Yeah, so we've been continuing to work on a project that is basically filmed in Jordan around um, a, a very large Syrian refugee camp there, where um, a lot of uh, energy has been and has been put into the idea of creating a type of model for the world to follow with uh, with people who are seeking asylum and, and, and fleeing their home countries. Uh, it's an absolutely incredible uh, uh, camp called the Zartari Camp in Jordan, uh, and a lot, a lot of resources and infrastructure has been provided by governments and foundations there to try and duplicate, in one sense, uh, the nature of normal life as far as possible for for the families that that are living there. There's 80,000 people there, so we are working now on a project to go and make a film about that uh, place because one of the I guess the motivations for me getting into this area of filmmaking in the last few years is not really about uh, so much criticising uh, governments that have really horrendous policies like Australia, but more trying to highlight uh, places in the world where positive approaches and positive solutions are being found uh, to highlight the fact that you really just need the will to do something good. Um, 
And if you have that will and you're willing to back it, you know, it's amazing the type of things you can achieve. And that's what that project's about. Of course, it's kind of all on hold at the moment, naturally, like so many other projects. Um, uh, so we're working on that. And I'm also working um, on another film um, set in the Torres Strait Islands uh, in Australia, um, which is dealing with the the impact of rising sea levels and climate change on the indigenous communities that live in the Torres Strait, um, because it looks likely in the next uh, 10 or 15 years that many of the people uh, living on those islands might have to relocate to the mainland as a result of uh, climate change. So that's another project we're working on uh, right now, which is also on hold. But um, we're very excited about both of them uh, and looking forward to uh, picking up again um, once the world is uh, opened up again and we're through the other side of this. Um, now, you mentioned, obviously, that a lot of things have been put on hold because of uh, what's been happening recently with the mm. coronavirus. Um, how do you think uh, that has um, affected uh, the refu- uh, refugee groups that you've been um, speaking to and, and refugees uh, in general? Because that's something that I don't think has been uh, quite as much uh, discussed uh, in the media mm. regarding this. Well, it's true. I mean, the the measures that have been put in place to support um, people being forced to, you know, not go to work and not go to school, um, to basically stay at home with their families, the financial support that's been provided by the government to support uh, people during that time has really not uh, been applied to those who are uh, refugees in detention in Australia or refugees on various forms of visas. They've really been overlooked. Uh, people... People on temporary visas, for example, uh, were overlooked by the by the, the measures the government put in place to support people who aren't working. So I think there's definitely a big crack there that, that hasn't been covered. Uh, I know that everything's happened very quickly, and the government, the measures the government have been has has implemented were, were massive. But there are big big groups in the community that have been forgotten. Um, uh, in the measures that have, that have been put in place, and the refugee population is definitely one of them. However, like uh, so many situations facing refugees in, uh, in the past six years, the government has continued to forget them, and thankfully there are many, many community groups, thousands of people um, that have been filling those cracks, and I guess they're doing that even more at the moment, and a number of new initiatives to support refugees uh, have sprung up in, in, in the last month or two in response to the coronavirus, and they're obviously doing their best. But a much better, uh, a much better measure would be one that came all the way from the government, uh, to recognise, um, the issues that, that refugees are facing right now and to try and take care of them while this is going on. Um, we're coming to, <clears throat> towards uh, the end of our discussion. Mm-hmm. It's been great to speak to you uh, again, Angus. Um, and I'd just like to ask you one final question. Um, mm-hmm. What are you most looking forward uh, to doing when uh, this whole uh, situation is over regarding the pandemic? <laughs> oh, well, the first thing to say is that I know that a lot of there's a lot of people um, who... Uh, who have been impacted emotionally by this. A lot of livelihoods are uncertain. Um, a lot of people's uh, lives and livelihoods have been threatened. But I suppose as a, as a filmmaker and as an artist, um, 
being in the studio and painting pictures is something I do normally. So I, I feel very fortunate not to have been as impacted as many other people. But I guess one of the things I'm looking forward to the most is really just being able to travel to some of these places and, and start filming uh, on these new projects that I'm doing. Um, being with the family here and having all this time with them is uh, something that is we're making the most of and, tr and being positive about. But yes, I'm looking forward to traveling with my camera and creating some footage and some new, uh, some new, and telling some new stories on film. Um, well, it's been uh, great uh, speaking to you again. It's wonderful, as always, to speak to you. Um, Angus, thank you again for coming on the podcast. If anyone wants to, to find out where they can um, uh, watch the film when it's out uh, and um, follow more about what, what you're doing, where should they mm -hmm. uh, find you and, and what sort of information can they get? If you go to, uh, if you go to, to our production company, Howling Eagles uh, Vimeo page, you'll see a range of uh, short films and film content that we've been making the last couple of years. And on the 12th of May, we'll also be releasing Manus finally, which we're very excited about. And the public will be able to view the film from that date onwards for free. So just go to Vimeo, uh, look for Howling Eagle, and you'll see uh, all the material and the films we've been working on uh, for, for the last few years. Great. Well, I would certainly recommend uh, that anyone listening uh, goes and uh, checks out that work because it is uh, utterly fantastic and it's, it's very important. Thank you once again. Thank you, Will. Lovely talking to you. Take Lovely care. Lovely talking to you. Welcome uh, back to the Debated Podcast. In uh, this part of the podcast, I'm going to be talking to a, a great uh, actor, writer and director, uh, Aditakumbo McCormack, who is the uh, writer, uh, director and star of The German King. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, so the first question uh, that I'd like to ask is um, what is the German King about for those who don't know uh, the film and, and don't know what it's about? The German King is about Rudolf Duala Manga Bell, an African um, a prince who was raised in Germany and upon becoming king in, when he comes back to Cameroon becomes king and sees that his people are being enslaved and subjugated under you know tyrannical colonial rule and inspires his nation to rise up and rebel. Um, so in the film uh, you play uh, Rudolf at a, a critical point when he is um, rallying his people uh, towards uh, the the cause of um, uh, getting rid of the uh, German colonizers. Um, why do you think that it's such an important moment to um, capture in a film? Well, because that's such a pivotal point in, you know, basically the history of Cameroon, I thought it was important to show that people were actively trying to stand up against oppression, specifically Rudolf Duala Manga Bell. I think when we think about African history, it's often, you know, sort of portrayed, Africans are portrayed mostly as passive. It portrays um, our history as, you know, the colonials came and they did great things for our continent. And, um, you know, and it's like there were a lot of negative things that happened as well. And I think it's important to show that Africans were very active in saying, you know, enough's enough. We want to stand up for our rights. We want to stand up for equality and um, and basically, basically be agents of change. 
Uh, do you think um, also, and you 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 mentioned there um, the way that uh, colonialism is uh, sometimes portrayed in Africa. Do you think uh, part of the problem is that uh, sometimes people see Africa just as a continent and rather than focus on the individual nations such as Cameroon um, within Africa? Yeah, because each country, first of all, each country has several different um, ethnic groups and, you know, different languages and different cultures. And what I love about this film is, yes, we show that there is so much individuality and diversity within the continent. You know, a lot of people, I'll take it a step further, you know, they think of it, you know, as one country. And Mm. it's like, no, there's so many facets to Africa. And each of our experiences were completely different from one another. Um, what did unite us is basically the, unfortunately, the negative things that happened under colonial rule. But, you know, for example, Cameroon um, suffered under German colonialism. Uh, Congo suffered under uh, Belgian colonialism. You know, you had other countries that had to deal with British colonialism. And so what we see is these people's fight and their basic experience, their experience under oppression and um and you know basically saying enough's enough and let's figure out how we can stop this and and ultimately help our own people um do you think that uh part of the interest uh, uh in particularly with rudolph's character is the fact that he was um sent to europe and educated in europe therefore he had sort of uh, almost like an insider's view of the way that the um colonial uh, officers and the colonial empires operated. Yeah, Rudolf, yeah, he lived in Germany. He knew the Kaiser quite well. And he definitely had a a Western or German way of thinking. So did his second, um, his right-hand man, Martin Paul Samba. So they had, I think, a way of of thinking that was like, okay, you know, um, let's try and... In fact, the way Rudolf even ruled was German. He, He believed in you know, democracy. He believed in the rights of the people. He believed in, you know, all of those things. And so I think whatever he learned in Germany, he was able to turn back against the Kaiser and say, no, you know, you're talking about having um, Lebensraum and you're talking about having your people having rights. Our people are people as well, just like you. We're the same, um, you know, we're human beings and therefore we belong, we deserve to be treated with respect. We deserve to be treated as equals. And I think that ended up sort of by Fighting the Kaiser in the behind, um, but yeah, he definitely believed in in basic human rights. Um, do you think that the um, the fact that the film uh, is set during the First World War demonstrates how much uh, of a global war it was, and not just um, a war that was occurring uh, in Europe? Yes, yeah. I mean, I think when we see films or whenever we read history books about what happened in the First World War, it's typically just, yes, of course, Europe. It's about, you know, the fights in Turkey. But we seldom hear about the fact that one million people were killed, you know, in Africa. We we never hear about how people, Africans, were in the forefront of fighting for, you know, the British, fighting for the Germans, fighting for um, all these different powers. And so the battle didn't just take place in Europe. It also very, very much took place in Africa. And a lot of the colonies had to rise up and lose their lives. Uh, So, yes, I mean, definitely Africa was heavily involved in the First World War. And it's something we never really see in in film or in in history books. Um, Now, I know... um 
uh, when I previously um, sent over uh, some questions uh, to you uh, relating to the film, uh, that you were thinking of potentially doing the film on uh, a, a bigger scale, uh, not not just as a short film, but as a feature. Um, if you were able to do it as a feature, what sort of things would you focus on in the feature that perhaps you weren't able to include it in the short? Well, there are a few things. I wanted to delve more into the relationship between Rudolf Duelamanga Bell and Kaiser Wilhelm II. I wanted to focus on the fact that they did have a history, they did have a friendship. I also wanted to, in the future, one of the things I will focus on is, yeah, the different people who were instrumental in um, Africans specifically who did fight in the First World War and focus on the fact that, you know, yes, this was happening in Cameroon, but it was also happening in other places in Africa. You know, um, uh, Germany had a colony in what is now Namibia and they exterminated nearly, you know, I think, I think they killed 300,000 uh, or so Nama and Herero people in, you know, in the Nama and Herero region in South, um, in Southern Africa. So I want to talk about, yes, the atrocities, but also the amount of people who also stood up and said, you know, let's fight against what we believe is oppression and fight for, you know, their own independence. And, um, yeah, so I, I think it's important just to basically see the, the larger, um, scope of, of what happened, um, you know, during that time, during World War One, and also the people who were instrumental in, um, in fighting the First World War. Um, now, you mentioned earlier on how um, some people uh, have described Africa not as a continent, but as a, a, a country. And of course, the, the most infamous uh, example would be um, President Trump, who said that. Do you think that, yeah, do you think that um, part of the problem with how uh, we view Africa today and we view Africa in a historical context is because of the um, language and the rhetoric that is used by certain politicians? Absolutely. I think certain politicians inform the way we all see each other and the way we address global issues. And yes, language is very, very important. I, I love this poem um, by W.H. Auden. It's September 1st, 1939. And it says, we must love one another or die. And I think the second we start seeing each other as people, as equals, as human beings, then we start to empathize with them and identify with the, you know, day-to-day -day struggles or, you know, whatever that they go through. We understand that these people you know, Africans, just like Americans, just like British, we all want the same thing. We want life, liberty, liberty, pursuit of happiness. We want, you know, to provide for our families. We want security. We want stability. We want all those things. And we don't want to be objectified. We don't want to be, you know, seen as less than. We all just want to be seen as people. So the second I think our politicians and, you know, start and, and even film and media, we all take that, you know, the responsibility falls on all of us to just start changing our language so that we see each other as real life people all want the same things. And I think then things will start to change. Mm. And now, of course, in the film, uh, you play uh, the part of uh, Rudolph. And I just wondered what sort of um, preparation did you do to get into the head of this very complex um, character who, you know, through, throughout the film, we see the sort of like the the uh, internal conflict in him. What, what did you do to um, prepare for that? 
Gosh, quite a few things. I, uh, <laughs> I read a lot of books. Uh, I watched a lot of documentaries. I spoke to some of his family members, uh, one of his grandchildren I spoke to. And just to understand who he was and j- just his mindset at the time. I also learned different languages. I learned Duala. I learned German. Uh, because those are languages that he spoke fluently. And I just read up about the country as much as I could. So for me, especially when you're playing someone who um, is as heroic and as, as famous and, you know, as Rudolf Duala Mangabel, there's a huge responsibility to, to, to do it justice. And so I wanted to make sure that I did all the preparation. I did as much research as I possibly could um, just so I could I could do a good job. Um, now, this may uh, seem like a bit of a, a, a counterfactual uh, for what is very much a uh, film based, in fact. But what do you think would have happened if um, Rudolph had been successful? Uh, well, interesting enough, he well, he was ultimately, you know, he ended up, you know, even though he didn't, you know, he, he didn't lead the charge of mm. um, rebelling against his quote unquote friend, uh, Kaiser William II, his death ended up um, inspiring his nation to rise up and rebel against um, German colonial rule. The issue, though, is because it was sort of like an out of the fire, frying pan into the fire situation, because by uniting or by throwing his weight behind uh, England and France, they ended up being the colonial powers of Africa and then carving Cameroon up. And then that's why we start seeing the issues that we have today with the Anglophone crisis, you know, I think France took like nine territories and Cameroon took two. And then, you know, then those English territories tried to secede and then they couldn't. And so now you have what I think 3000 people who have been killed since 2017 and 700,000 people displaced. And so it's just unfortunate that his dream, yes, had he been successful in, you know, leading a complete independence of his people, I think Cameroon would be a thriving nation today with a, you know, thriving economy and things would be much different. So, you know, I, I, I hope that someday that will still happen and it's my prayer um, and hopefully we'll get there soon. Um, you mentioned the, uh, the divisions in Cameroon. I just wondered um, what was, what's been the reaction in Cameroon uh, to the film? Well, it's interesting. A lot of people who didn't know. So there's a generation of kids today who did not know Rudolf Dwala Manga Bell existed. So what's been interesting is having the film screen at schools and various institutions and, you know, and and giving talks at different schools and institutions. And, um, yeah, people seem to be just loving it and realizing that they have their own icon uh, that they can say, oh, look, this is a man who looks like us, is is from our country, and um, and he was a hero, you know? And I think what's been amazing is just people celebrating the fact that Africans have made some incredible achievements. And you, too often we see, you know, we'll see like William Wallace from Braveheart or mm. you know, Amadeus and all these other heroes. But I think not many Africans have the opportunity to say that we had our own heroes. And I think people are just really excited to, just to see someone who looks like them from their own country who accomplished um, such great things. Well, I, I think that's a, a great sentiment and uh, one I very much uh, support. We're coming towards the end of the podcast now. It's been great speaking to you. Likewise, likewise. Um, I just like to ask if people would like to find out more about the film, um, 
support the efforts to get it made into a feature where can they go to find out more about it um what sort of information can they find out well uh please follow us on twitter and instagram at german king movie and our website is germankingmovie.com and we regularly post updates about our upcoming screenings and um and just ways to get involved and yes i mean we we would love everyone to get involved in helping us uh, turn this into a feature because i think it's something that you know people must see and it's a little known part of history that that the world needs to know about well i um sincerely uh, concur with that thank you once again for coming on the podcast thank you so much will thank you for listening to the podcast don't forget that you can subscribe on itunes spotify podbean or youtube you can follow us at debated podcast on twitter like us debated podcast on facebook and if you want to email us either about appearing or making a comment or reaction to the episode you've heard, or any other episodes, then email us, thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.